0: Welcome back to another episode of Reason to Doubt, your source for all things skeptical. I'm Jared. Unfortunately, Jordan will not be joining us this week, but fortunately, we have somebody uh, taking his place. We have Nick joining us from across the pond. How are you doing today, Nick? I'm good, thank you. I apologize. I forgot my bow tie. (laughs) Yeah, that's all right. Well, uh, maybe we can super... (laughs) We can superimpose one uh, later or something. (laughs) Fix it in post. Yeah, we'll get an Instagram filter on or something. So, (laughs) Um, no, we won't do that. But uh, Nick, uh, before we get into this episode, um, I just want to say today's episode is about substitutionary atonement. So, we're going to be talking about just the Christian doctrine. of Like, what does it mean? Uh, What are some implications? But prior to that, um, why don't you let people know where they can find you? Because you have your own YouTube channel. You put out some really good content. so. Uh yes, so
1: I have a YouTube channel called Reality Insights which is that that's the name of of the channel. Basically named because I figured if rationality rules could be pretentious, I could as well. <laughs> and I needed a name that was googleable or searchable and it was the own it, it is the only channel that comes up with that name. So it's it's practically perfect. Um it's sort of christian apologetics and sort of not in the sense that convincing non-christians is not really what it's for although there is a fair amount of that on the channel the main objective is to bring in stuff at a really really low level for christians who have never really dealt with various topics before so what i found in um what in my church among, among other places, is Christians are often very, very focused on the practicalities of like, how do you live as a Christian, not so much focused on the theory in terms of Bible history, what happened, what didn't happen, what does it mean, mm-hmm. what does it not mean, um, what is evolution. That's what, how it, That's how it started, actually, was I was irritated by the criminal lack of knowledge of people who were arguing about evolution without knowing what it was. So, it, so, so it's like, what is it, what does it really say? What does it not really say? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's ima- imagine inspiring philosophy, but several levels below <laughs> that, yeah. if if that makes
0: sense. <laughs> it makes total um, sense.
1: So it's intended to, int- it's, it's, it's as much intended to introduce topics as much as okay. anything else. Um, but that's well, sort of what it's aimed at. So if you want a, a 15 minutes summary of a topic that gives you the sort of the main talking points and gives you a starting point to then go further and do like actual research,
0: then that's kind of what it's aimed at. Yeah. I think that's a great uh, service to offer, especially you know, f- uh, for Christians who are interested in that. Cause uh, as you mentioned, a lot of people's education about certain topics comes to them, like, especially on evolution comes to them from the pulpit. Right. And so their only understanding mm-hmm. of it is from like a, sometimes a fundamentalist point of view or even, um, even a liberal or progressive point of view, but they don't have much knowledge about it. So they're just repeating things that they hear. And so um, it's definitely good, but you're, but you're obviously coming to it from like a Christian perspective too. So like, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah well, it, pre- it presupposes that Christianity is true. <laughs> yeah.
0: <most> of <laughs> yeah. um, so, well, obviously you're a Christian. Uh, I'm yeah. an atheist. So I guess substitutionary atonement, um, today's topic, what I wanted to do was just kind of outline like what exactly is substitutionary atonement? And then maybe we could just kind of have a back and forth discussion. I do want to say up front that we are not debating. This is literally just a conversation between Nick and myself about it um, with the hopes of just kind of seeing what each other think about it. And so, um,
1: yeah, I would also add that there are Christians disagree on what substitutionary atonement is. Well, they all agree on what it achieves, but they disagree on exactly what it is. And I don't think the Christian has yet been born that fully understands everything about yes. how it works. So there will be blind spots in both of our
0: knowledge as well, I, I expect. Oh, I definitely agree with that. And with that in mind, like if if you're listening to this, you're like, that's not what substitution atonement is. Like, well, let us know what what you think it is, but we can only talk about our own perspectives. Yes. I had a, a Christian background uh, and so I have an understanding of, of it from the way that I was raised in the Christian tradition I came up in and Nick has his own Christian tradition that he came up in. So I imagine there may be some similarities, but like you said, there's probably some differences in that as well. So, uh, but before we get into that substitutionary atonement, let's just give a quick little brief thing. Um, if you had to like put it in like one sentence elevator pitch, That would probably be the most common across all Christian traditions, or as many Christian traditions as you could think of. What would you say? Um,
1: I would say Jesus Jesus died in our place, which allows us to be reconciled to God. Okay, I think that's that's a good the very quick one sentence summary of exactly what it what happened and what what it achieved.
0: Yeah. So the idea in Christian tradition, Christian doctrine, is teaching that you know we have sin uh, that men, so you could go like down the Roman roads, sort of thing, like all men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so like the only way to, to bridge that gap was for Jesus to come to earth, die, be sacrificed. So, uh, which to me is interesting. Um, I never really thought about it growing up, but there's a couple points that I'd like to, maybe we just pinge on here. Um, one, it, it, comes, it comes down to sin, right? Like without without sin, there's no need for substitutionary atonement, right? Yeah. And so are you a proponent of like original sin or is there a different sort of sin or sin just in your mind, just like not obeying <clears throat> um, God's commandments?
1: Yes. <laughs> so. Um, so this and this this took me a little while, a little bit of thinking to kind of work out what I thought about this kind mm-hmm. of thing. So the concepts, I think people misunderstand, and a lot of Christians actually misunderstand what original sin is. So they say, so actually and this came up, um, I occasionally get updates from the, our Christianity subreddit.
0: Which <laughs> I've, I've yet to venture down that. that 90, rabbit hole. <laughs> 90,
1: I don't really follow it, but occasionally yeah. something interesting comes up. Most of the time it's all about, do Christians hate gay people? And it's like, yeah, that's the five millionth time that's come up. But anyway, <laughs> um, so, and that came up as, you know, how can you be held responsible for the sin of the, you know some guy in the past? You know, he did his thing and you're apparently guilty of it. I don't think that's what original sin is. Everybody is guilty of their own poor, you know, their own immoral actions. So there there is that aspect, you know, not following God's law. Et I mean, the literal meaning of the word sin, at least in the New Testament, is it means missing the mark. It's like shooting an arrow at a target and missing. So that that's the literal meaning of the, the word sin. Um, I didn't actually write down what the actual Greek word was, but that, that's more or less what it means. Um, now I think original sin could be more is more akin to sickness. It's a corruption of the soul. Hmm. Um, so you're not. It's not something that you're guilty of as such, but it's a problem that needs to be fixed if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I mean, just and I guess this takes a lot of different conceptions in Christianity, but the main one being is that the original sin was Adam and Eve in the garden and breaking that covenant, you know, with God, you know, choosing to to eat of the fruit and disobey God's commandment. And that sin is then bored out through history. Just, you're just born with that sin. It's just part of you as a human being, right? But you're, but you're not guilty of that.
1: So you're, yeah. with, you're not being – God isn't proposing that he's he's punishing you for what Adam did. But what Adam did has led to consequences and, and it's like, a, a, a sort of corrupt nature. And it's your corrupt nature that then causes you to sin yourself. So sin, is, sin, in effect, is a twofold problem that God needs to solve. He needs to solve your actual moral guilt of doing whatever you've done. And then he also needs to solve the – um, corruption inside you that causes that to happen because it's otherwise if he just forgives your sin it was like well you're just gonna do more sin like the the problem hasn't been fixed right. um, that's how i see it anyway because yeah. it's it's um because the the whole sort of legal metaphor that often gets used a lot uh mainly because of our <clears throat> the protestant tradition is mostly derived from uh calvin and martin mm-hmm. luther both of whom were lawyers or heavily involved in you know legal studies so they they emphasize that um jesus used a number of different metaphors um one of which was a medical one you know i've come to heal the sick um not physically but well yes physically as well he did that as well yeah yes um supposedly (laughs) in classical (laughs) christian theology he did yeah um but his purpose was to come and heal. Was was his medical? It's like when he says to the Pharisees, "Like your sin isn't that you're blind. Your sin is that you you think you can see." I think that's in Matthew. It's in Matthew somewhere. I can't remember the exact reference. But I, that that metaphor makes a bit is a bit clearer for me. I think I mm-hmm. think I prefer that one. Um, but that's effectively how sin works. So simply forgiving doesn't change the fundamental problem in the in the human heart so atonement doesn't doesn't just enable forgiveness of sins but the whole point with even if you go to prepare <laughs> uh churches and the the um so you know do you want to let let jesus into your into your heart that's right. what that's referring to is jesus himself comes in and well fixes you effectively changes you back to over time progressively changes you back to align you yeah with god and that un, that then undoes what adam did
0: So there's a lot of there's there's several implications too for me when it comes to substitutionary atonement. So we have the idea of sin. Now it could be original sin or it could just be sin because there's different traditions, right? Like um, not all proponents of substitutionary atonement think that you need to have original sin. Like there could just be the general everybody just in the nature of being human just commits sins against God. Mm -hmm. But there's also the the idea is like there's a couple levels here when Jesus was. Uh, crucified and died did that death pay for all sins throughout all history and then or was like this is kind of like a universalism like that death is like boom all sins been covered at that point or do you still need this other level to where you're saying it's like jesus paid the price but you have to accept it in order to to basically have your sins forgiven as well um
1: i would say yeah, <laughs> again, yes. <laughs> yeah. But it depends what you mean. So if you mean does um does Jesus' death work both forwards and backwards in time, then yes, it does. So for example, Abraham was saved by Jesus, even though Jesus wouldn't be dead for another wouldn't have done his thing for another fifteen hundred odd years or so. Mm-hmm. Now the second question then ties into do you have to have heard about the gospel and have actually said that said the magic prayer, so to speak, to um be saved? That is a difficult question. I don't think so. Um and that the Bible doesn't really talk about it. So this is purely my supposition. Right. Um, um the Bible mention well, it mentions in a couple of places where people who <clears throat> People who behave as if they know the law, even if they don't, will be treated as if they did. And people who have the law but disobey it will be treated as if they didn't. So God will accept um, actions by people who did not know Him directly, but were mm-hmm. acting as if were they were—they were behaving in a way that He found acceptable. Now, what I personally believe will happen, is that there will be people who will spend their entire lives who have never heard of Jesus, or even, in fact, because that you're also covering people, for example, I've heard loads of stories of people who've rejected God and Jesus completely, not because they've never heard of him, but because they grew up in an abusive Christian home. Right.
0: The God that was presented to them was not necessarily appealing, right? And they've
1: stuck, you know, and they've stuck two fingers up at heaven, like, you know, screw you. I I hate you, you know, I I hate and and with, with good reason. Now there will be people who I think will be in situations like that, who will stand before Jesus and will recognize him instantly as what they were looking for the whole time. Mm -hmm. And people like, and then that will then be a, it will also be like a joyful reunion um People like that will effectively count, ca- will be, will count, so to speak. But then you'll also get people, people who I have witnessed do this kind of thing, who have spent their entire lives in church, even preached in church, who will stand before Jesus and hear me. I like, get away. I never knew you. Huh. I think, I think you will get both. Now that doesn't mean that being preached to is unnecessary, but I don't think God will abandon. People who have never actually heard the gospel—if that makes sense.
0: No, that makes sense. I mean, when I was growing up, I was like, "Well, why would I go and preach the gospel to people if I, you know, if they're, you know, if they've never heard Um, about it? Maybe it'd be better if they just never heard about it." You know,
1: or I um, I think it was my—I think it was my auntie actually. This happened to because I've got relatives who are um, pastors in churches in various places, and they had a guy. I, th- I think it was her, but the story basically was they had a guy who um either he he was either in church and just misbehaving. You know, he wasn't he wasn't a believer as such, so he was sort of showing up and causing trouble. Or his or he had a wife who was in church and he wasn't a Christian at all, and then he had a near death experience, and while he was in a coma, had this vision of hell and how terrible everything was, and woke up and immediately wanted to become a Christian. And her thing was like, well, why can't God do that to everybody? Like, why do we have to do all this work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's that so there's a level at which we literally don't know. I don't we've not been told effectively how these things work together. So we have the Great Commission, go out, preach, make disciples, right. preach to the whole world. But you also have this issue of you know people like native Native Americans five thousand years ago who right. god loves God loves presumably because God loves all of humanity, so there must be some method of him dealing with them so the both these things must be true. I don't know how they interact,
0: yeah i uh I don't know either <laughs> I don't know. Right, so let's uh I just want to touch back on the concept of sin, so basically the idea is like because of sin, whether you believe in original sin or whether it's just a sin that we're all just like born with or it's just everybody's sin is just part of human nature uh because we all can't live up to God's uh commandments or whatever it is, we're all deserving to be punished for sin, right that's the whole idea, right, and that's the reason we need something to atone for that sin, hence yeah. the substitution so we're deserving of it and Jesus is the substitution and going to atone for it. Right. Uh, yeah. More, more or less. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's a couple things that, and I want to maybe push back a little bit here and see what your thoughts on this, but like several things for me don't add up or don't make sense about this. One is like, why? Like, well, um, I guess I don't understand why it would be necessary for like, or why one person's sacrifice accounts for the sins of all humanity? Um, Is it because Jesus was um, essentially perfect in Christian tradition? So he was flawless and without sin or? Um, Well, I'm not 100% sure. Um, What I
1: think is that it's for the same reason that one Adam, one man's sin, well in Romans, one man's sin was enough to doom everybody. Um, Adam is... Effectively the representative, if you like, of you. Mm -hmm. Um, And Jesus is the same representative. Again, he's he's called the second Adam.
0: Yeah, he's the new Adam, second Adam, yeah.
1: So that's, I think, how that would work. It would be something along those lines. Jesus is representing uh, you,
0: effectively. But he's doing that for everybody. And so... I guess there's several like subcategories of substitutionary torment we may get into in a little bit. But this is the idea that uh, just the basic level that he's a substitution for us. Does that mean in your mind that Jesus actually bore the weight of sin or that Jesus was being punished for our sin? I think those are two distinctions there, right? Like. Can you explain the distinction? Because they sound so like for for one, um, some people will call it like penal substitution theory. So like penal substitution theory is mean like God actually punished Jesus for everybody's sin, right? And so in that that doctrine, it's like Jesus is being punished because of everybody's sin, versus just substitution is like Jesus is just. Saying, all right, you're, you're a perfect human being, you're a flawless, uh, your sacrifice is going to atone, but you're not necessarily being punished. So it's like a placeholder. Um, I don't know if that distinction makes any sense, but... It, um, it still
1: sounds like you are two different ways of saying the same thing. Um, well, it, I, although I, the difference, yeah. I guess, would be that Jesus... How can I put it? It wasn't, well, it wasn't permanent. Jesus, Jesus obviously bore it for a few hours and then died and came back. So, whereas I guess if he was punished, it would be punishment forever, but, but it isn't. But then I sort of have a certain level of uncertainty regarding how that works anyway, in terms of mm-hmm. long punishment and, and things like that. So I would say in some ways, again, it'd be a bit of both.
0: Um, right.
1: But... Yeah, he's he's bearing he's bearing the punishment, but I don't think God is like you know spiritually sort of beating him. If that makes sense. <laughs> which is then one I don't of their- think, I don't
0: think that's what God does to us either. So okay, I, in so that sense, which that's interesting because like in my mind, the idea of sin is like we're deserve we're deserving of being punished. So like, if Jesus hadn't stepped in, like. I would be like well you broke my commandments you sinned against me however you want to view it like you need to be punished um, and without this sacrifice you're going to be punished right?
1: Yes and no again it's, it's it's difficult for me to put into words exactly um, but I think there's a bit more to it than I think pun- punishment is an aspect mm-hmm. You know, because I, I think there is an aspect of you know you've committed this evil therefore this evil will be visited on you um you and i think you know in the bible says everybody will get justice that's the whole whole judgment day thing
0: which i think yeah i want to point out real quick too like uh i don't expect you to have all the answers in fact substitutionary atonement wasn't even developed as a christian doctrine until like um, like when you said when Calvin and Martin Luther came along, so like it took a thousand, you know, plus years to even yeah. get to that point for them to develop this doctrine. So people have been wrestling with it for a long time. Um, um so no, yeah, I it's think, not like, you could I, mean,
1: do- <laughs> I think we'll say we, we, we'll, get back in, we'll get into the the different sorts of theories. Yeah, like. I, it's one of the things where it's, it's the, the old men and the elephant mm-hmm. kind of thing, using it in a slightly different application, what's usually used for. I think what we have is something um, that is very, very big that's going on, and the different theories capture certain aspects of it. So, so penal substitution, uh, yes, Jesus getting punished is certainly part of what's going on, but I don't think it's all of what's going on, or necessarily even the most important part of what's going on. Okay, if that makes sense. But I'm still very much thinking about it.
0: Yeah, I mean. I I don't think it's set in stone. Um, (laughs) Otherwise there would be one Christian doctrine that everybody agreed on. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I, for me, that's like the kind of, and this tends to be an atheist trope um, in, in especially online, but like the idea and the way that it's viewed is that God is mad. Um, You know, he's like, and he needs, he needs a sacrifice. He needs a blood sacrifice to appease him. Like that seems like, in of itself is like a very like ancient kind of thinking to like how sacrifices worked and all of this, especially in the temple period, you know, when you have blood sacrifices, animal sacrifices, in addition to other offerings. But is that, was Jesus a, a blood sacrifice to be able to appease an angry God? Uh, no. So that, in your, in your doctrine or your. Well, I mean, there is, tradition- there, is ang- there is
1: anger involved. Right. Certainly God, God hates sin. Of course he's angry. He's very angry with it. And he's angry. Um, I guess in the same way that Jesus was angry when, uh, Lazarus died, mm-hmm. so the story of Jesus, rising Lazarus to the death, raising Lazarus to the raising Lazarus from death. Um, Jesus is angry. He's, he's weeping. He's upset. Um, even though he knows what's going to happen, but he's angry at the consequences at the situation. He's not angry at the people involved. So there's there's that anger as well, but the idea of sacrifices appeasing an angry god is what the pagans did. That's essentially yeah. The, that was the the idea that you are negotiating, you're you know you're you're propitiating an angry an angry mm. deity, so they don't strike you with lightning or vanish your crops or what have you. Right now, again, this is one of those things where it's not wrong, but it's very much like looking at a specimen through a dirty microscope like you are see you're seeing very very dimly you're you're, you're capturing part of what's going on because that's something like that certainly is going on but it's um it's not by no means all of it
0: sure or, and yeah. i think you know for me the i never was able to understand this fully or, or grasp it but like it just didn't make sense to me like how an all powerful God couldn't just like, you know, I forgive you as opposed to like having to go through the process of like having the actual sacrifice I mean, or the, the death. I mean, so he, he does, that's what he's
1: doing when he's doing that.
0: But, but it, I guess like, was it necessary then for Jesus to die? Like, could God have um, just been like, yeah, let's just wipe the slate clean.
1: Well, I mean, well, that's what he did. There's, there's no such thing as just, just forgiveness without any, without a cost of some kind. It doesn't exist. So I, so we, we maybe um, whether it was necessary for Jesus to die specifically in the way he right. did, I couldn't say if theoretically there could possibly be, have been another way. Um, I just, I, I just couldn't, couldn't um, say okay. that either. Jesus specific when, when Jesus is praying in the garden, he specifically says, if there is another way, can we do that please? And God's oh. like,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So Which? I assume there there wasn't. Um, but the idea of there being a price to be paid for sin, we we accept this in all other respects without without any real question. Um, you know, if you steal ten pounds from my wallet and I forgive you, that forgiveness is not free. It's cost me ten pounds. Um, if you give me the money back, then and I forgive you. Then the forgiveness has cost me, well, the time, whatever the time was that I was deprived of my ten pounds. If you then pay me back extra. To um, make up for it, to make me whole, if you like. Say you give me an extra two pounds to make up for the fact. That has now cost you two pounds. As soon as a sin happens, a price has to be paid to correct it.
0: Sure. I can get that from a human level. I'm just from yeah. like a, a divine being level. Like it doesn't, it doesn't compute like that. Um, but if, if the human, if, the, if, if Adam's
1: sin broke the human soul, then the human soul has to be repaired. So action is necessary to 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 make that happen. Okay. So something. So this is this is the point. Like something, uh, something had to be done to, to fix the problem. Humans can't fix it because we're the ones who are broken. Therefore, God had to do it. But he had to do it in the form of a. He had to, the the how? How did I do this? I, I did something. I did I I taught something about this at church once years ago. Um, to teenagers. Um, where was it? Yeah, so the, the idea, this is the way I thought of it um, back then, was um, because God is perfect, the substitute has to be perfect. So you find this in the Old Testament laws, when they sacrifice lambs, the lamb has to be perfect. Without, without perfect, blemish. Yeah. Without blemish, yeah. Um, so a human has to pay the price, but the human can't come from mankind because we're all already broken. It has to be a perfect human. Um, which means that God Himself provides the sacrifice, and that then is foreshadowed by the whole thing with Abraham and Isaac on the mountain, when God commands Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, and then he's like, "No, no, stop! I will provide the sacrifice," and he provides the lamb, the lamb in the thicket. So God Himself becomes man, and then he's the one who does, he's, he's the one who does it. That's which, the, 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 in, in very simple terms. That's the basic idea. That's how how I understand.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's how it's been understood for a while. They, that part to me particularly doesn't necessarily compute or make sense. Um, especially when you start to get in with like the Trinity, because if God is Jesus, Jesus is God, or is there members of the, the Trinity, right? Members of the Godhead. Um, there seems, it just gets a little, little funky there, especially when you throw the Holy Spirit in the mix. Um, how that all plays into the thing because like he's basically doing the thing that he needed to do himself anyways, in my opinion, like it's sort of like you, you've heard atheists on this and creating a loophole or whatever, like, you know, appeasing himself to himself kind of thing. But um, regardless uh, not to go down that rabbit hole, is, so one of the main criticisms of of substitutionary atonement is like the divine child abuse. So like God is basically taking this out on his son, like in that sense. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose you don't agree with that st- statement. <clears throat> I, I have a Based very, on what very, low you opinion of that statement.
1: Yeah. It's um, not only stupid, it's insultingly stupid. Um, it's, it's on my list of things. If I hear an atheist say it, it's just like, well, I don't need to talk to you now.
0: Yeah. I, can't I, I didn't say it, by the thing. way. No, <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know you
1: didn't. I'm yeah. just saying that's, it's, it's, it's on the list of things where if somebody says it, I just know not to take them seriously mm-hmm. um, because it, it's a caricature sure. of, of what happened. Jesus, first, firstly, Jesus is not a child. He is God himself. You know, the father and the sonship, Jesus and God are equals. Now the father and the son, there is an sort of like, an, I guess you could say an authority relationship there fatherhood versus sonship, but it's a different, it's an authority difference. It's not a difference in terms of one's a kid and the others, like this angry old man beating the kid. Okay. You know, like in the, uh, the um, English Kings, English princes used to have, you ever heard the story of the the prince and the pauper? Mm-hmm. The pauper? Yeah. I, I might M- Mickey
0: Mouse did a good rendition of it.
1: Yeah. Where the, the, the <laughs> prince can't be beaten. So he has a kid with him who gets beaten whenever he yeah. messes up. That's not what it is. Um, so that's the first point the, the son is a, the son is a co-equal member of the Godhead member of the Trinity as you know, in, in, um, the gospel of John in the beginning was the word, Right. You know, he was, he's been there from the start. The Second point is Jesus was a volunteer. He chose to do it. You know, the son, my, I, I lay my life down. My, my life is mine to take, put down and my life is mine to pick up again. Um, and the, the next point is the cross was not plan B. It was not an "oh crap, Adam sinned. What do we do now?" kind of situation. Um, the cross was Plan A. This this is the plan working from the start when God, you know, the, the Trinity, the um, the Godhead agreed, as James White used to like, likes to say, in eternity past.
0: You know, long before. This was eternity. always part of the like, thing. This was God always knew the as part of creating humanity. This was going to happen. Was going to happen. This was going to was gonna
1: be the plan, and they agreed that this is how it would work. And Jesus does it voluntarily. So when he's praying to God, you know, if there's any other way, let me not do it. God's like, well, there isn't any other way. And Jesus is like, okay, fine. Um, I'm I'm paraphrasing, but you get, you get the idea. Um, And Jesus could have stopped at any time when he's, and again, also when he's saying to the side, when Peter's like getting a sword out and fighting to defend him and Jesus is like, well, I've got a legion of angels standing by who will pull me out as soon as I ask for it. So I, I I really don't like the, the divine child abuse. Thing because it it's insulting like it's not even it's not an argument it's just a right a
0: put down i think um, from uh if you don't look at it critically or you don't look at it like really what's going on from the outside if you're just using character caricatures you could see how that could be misconceived and just like you know how if you have uh, somebody in the pulpit trying to teach evolution or what evolution is, you probably have other things like, especially within the atheist community where they just keep yeah. repeating these well, things it's, that it's, they've heard. It's, it's almost like the atheist equivalent of that. That's yeah, what I'm you have like, I think It's very I, yeah, similar. Like
1: I had this, in fact, I had this online argument with a young earth creationist the other week. And he was like, you know, you believe that a, a, dog, a fish turned into a dog and then it turned into a whale. And I was like, dude, shut up. Seriously. You're just being <laughs> embarrassing now. Uh, well. but it's it's the equivalent of that, is mm-hmm. Um is how I see that particular
0: one. Okay, so what about the idea of um so that there's atonement, but it's sort of limited in a sense. Like we kind of touched on this earlier, like it doesn't necessarily cover all sin. It's only limited, or you have <laughs> to you have to do something extra to like earn it. Um, um my understanding of limited atonement um is Based
1: based on my uh, couple of hours of searching Wikipedia articles and got questions blog <laughs> posts, right? Yeah, looked it up. Um, is it's, it's primarily Calvinist, um, which makes me suspicious straight away. Um, but the idea is atonement is infinite in power, but God limits it to the the elect, the, the you know the, the people that He's pre predestined to accept it. Now. I don't hold to that interpretation of predestination. So, limited atonement, I think, is incorrect. Um, if 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 you mean by if you mean by limited atonement only the people who are saved get saved, then well, yes, but that isn't what they mean. I don't think no. they mean that God. God, Calvinists believe God has preordained certain people who definitely will get saved and can't not. And there's people
0: who, even if they want to, they can't. Yeah. So,
1: well, I, I reject that completely. Um, I think well, it's a misunderstanding of the Bible. There's there's plenty of mentions in the Gospels where Jesus is like, "Go out and preach to everybody. You know, if, if 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 a town rejects you, shake the dust off your feet and go to the next town. You know, don't waste time with them if they're going to reject you. But let like, give them a chance to reject you first, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other part of it, I think, is which Calvinists I think do, but I think some of the other groups that try to explain this do as well, they misunderstand the nature of time. So they think in, in, they think in to to borrow a phrase from Dr. Who, they think of time as a linear sequence of cause and effect when it's a, you know, wibbly wobbly ball of timey, wimey stuff. But the, the relationship between, so God preordains. Yes, but that doesn't mean that people still don't have a choice. So, um, everyone has a chance. Some people will reject and some people won't. And God knows who's going to do what, but everybody still has the fair opportunity
0: to do it. Yeah. It's, I mean, that part's always been curious to me because it, it's like Jesus atoned for sins in this yeah. doctrine, but yet you still have to go that extra step. You still have to, it, so in a sense, it's not, they're atoned for, but yet they're still in place. It's like, he's still holding it against you. Well,
1: it's the, the metaphor that I often think about is like the ship is sinking. God has provided a lifeboat. You have to get in the lifeboat. He's not going to make you.
0: So So the lifeboat is the atonement.
1: Well, the provision of the lifeboat is the atonement. You getting in the lifeboat is the action that you have to take to to save yourself, I guess. Um, In that God's done all the work. That you the, the the extra action required of you is to to accept it is to get in the boat and, and be rescued, but you're free to drown if you want.
0: Which is weird that anybody would choose to drown, but I guess.
1: Um, um, well, there's a, got, there's a very yeah. there's a very good book. Have you ever heard of um, The Great Divorce?
0: Mm,
1: no, I can't say oh, I have. It's I have. a book by C.S. Lewis. It's a it's a novel, basically, um, and it's. <clears throat> it's the, the the idea of the book is basically souls in hell can go on holidays to heaven. And if they go to, they can get on a bus and the bus drives them to heaven. And when they go to heaven, souls of redeemed humanity show up and try to persuade them to stay. And it's a series of, the, the observer is written in the first person. The observer is basically having a dream about this, about this thing but it's an exploration of all the reasons why people would rather stay in hell hmm.
0: Then I'll have to check that out. I mean, I'm a big fan excellent. of CS Lewis. So um, it's a
1: book. Bu- it's, it's a book of Christian philosophy, basically. Yeah.
0: Um, I can't believe well
1: I never came across that. So but it's, um, um, but it's all about that as to why people would prefer, um, they would prefer to stay miserable and, and win, be right, so to speak than to, okay. Let go of all of their, all the things they want to keep. Because the thing to remember also with, with the, the atonement is that the atonement is not unconditional. You can't bring anything with you. So you give, you, you are free from your sin. Yes. But then now Jesus now owns you. It's you, 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 are, um, as Paul said, Paul describes himself in his epistles as a slave to Christ. It's, um, it's not an easy thing and it's, some people would rather to bo- get them or to borrow the famous, I think is it Milton, Milton, Paradise Lost, I think
0: mm-hmm. it's like
1: better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. Some people would rather be the big fish in a very small and dirty pond than be the small fish in the big, big untamed ocean. Um, if that makes sense. That, and that's basically C.S. Lewis's thesis.
0: That's just, Okay. Well, I I I'd check that, that out. But- um, um, but it's very,
1: I'd recommend anyone, anyone who's interested in Christian theology to read it because it's very, very, it's written because it's written as a story. It's very, very easy to read and very easy to understand. It's not an essay. Um, and, and this is we're talking about the guy who wrote Narnia. So he's very good yeah. at giving you imagery and you're getting your imagination going and, and things like that. So it's definitely worth it.
0: Yeah. yeah. I'll do check that out. Um, I wanted to kind of switch pivot gears here because, um, I don't know how familiar you are with some some other theories there are um, when it comes to like why Jesus had to die um, or why maybe he didn't have to die, but what why he died or what happened when he died, we'll put it that way, but... Um, especially since we have a long history of Christianity and the understanding of Jesus death from the very beginning was something that Christians have wrestled with. Like, why did yeah. Jesus die? Like, and it's well, maybe,
1: maybe you can explain some of this to me because I, yeah, so I knew one of, almost nothing about it before I started. <laughs>
0: it's yeah, it's really interesting. So one of my, my favorite one um, is the Christus Victus theory. So for those who don't really under um, know Christus Victor is basically, it was an early um, thing. This was probably developed in the, Middle Ages, I guess you would say. Um, but it basically emphasized like the cosmic significance of Christ's death. So, uh, and, his, and his resurrection, more importantly. So it's not just the death, but it's the resurrection in this one. And that, so human sin had created like this bondage to like evil powers, you know, so like sin, death, the devil, all these things were now bound to to that level and then through Christ's death. And then subsequently his resurrection, he basically declared victory over all those things. So he freed humanity from that bondage. Mm -hmm. So in this theory, there's no like atonement, like you're not being forgiven of your sins. Like just the act of Christ or Jesus doing that. He basically just like threw down the Trump card and um, crushed all the, the way that we were bound to it. So it's a little bit different. It's, it's similar to atonement in a sense, but it takes away that sacrifice and places more emphasis on the on the resurrection part. Um, I don't know if you'd ever heard of that, that theory before. Well, it's in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, I guess the truth, it is in the Bible, isn't it? Um, Paul describes more or less exactly
1: that. As, you know, God releasing the cat, Jesus, leading um, a victory parade to heaven effectively with releasing captives and holding demons in chains and, you know, winning, defeating the enemy. Um, So I think that is definitely, that is, again, it's another way of looking at it. Uh, Uh,
0: What's even more interesting, like this theory is actually still prominent, like in like Eastern Orthodox church is some Anglican churches still hold to this, this doctrine. Um, Yeah. The Eastern
1: Orthodox actually is one of the um, traditions that I is on my list to spend more time looking into. Because I didn't realize until I started looking into it a bit how Western centric a lot of atheology is. Mm-hmm. Eastern Orthodox actually have, an, have their own way of using the same scriptures, they have their own way yeah. of looking at a lot of these things. And I think there's a lot of value
0: in that i think too, um, one of the things that i was always fascinated with through my studies was like i always wanted to like find like the original christianity <laughs> like what, what was the original if you could ever find that such thing but i think there's value in like looking at things like the eastern orthodox tradition to, like because they probably preserve certain things in there <clears> that weren't tainted by western um, culture and thought so um so we we sort of touched on penal substitution um theory but i mean that's basically like you know, Jesus had to be punished in order for the sins. So I don't really want to touch on that one. Um, the other one though, too, this one is, was really popular, I think, especially in progressive Christianity today, but it's the idea of the moral influence. So this basically, uh, and you've probably heard this, it's probably not the heart of a stretch, but the idea is that Jesus, um, Jesus being a perfect human, being flawless his the act of him laying down his life, the act of him living an example of like this is what it means to be a, a perfect moral person, and then giving up his life in that ultimate sacrifice, basically set up an example for selfless love that we could all follow. So mm-hmm. the whole purpose of that was of there's no atonement in this theory whatsoever. Like there didn't need to be a sacrifice. But the only way for Jesus to actually demonstrate what a perfectly moral being is is to go through the process of living a human life and then, you know, giving up, um, giving himself up so uh yes, I
1: think I think that one's also true. I don't think it means there's no atonement. I don't think it works for atonement um, in the sense that there's still there still has to be an atonement, but I think one of the objectives that he, Jesus achieved via what he did was to set an example. I think the way, and because this is your thing, you focus on Jesus's crucifixion, like the, the passion and Jesus's crucifixion. But that has to be seen in context of the entire methodology. Jesus did not pop into existence as a 33 year old man, like on a cross. He was born as a baby. He grew up, he went through all of this stuff. And I think part of the reason it was done that way was to set an example Um, because it's easy to forget in our sort of pampered relatively easy Christian lives in the West that Christianity is the most persecuted religion ever to exist most Christians are persecuted and Christians the the statistic I read a couple of years ago was something like 80% of religious persecution in the world now is against Christians so you couldn't have an exam if, if, if your Christian life is a call to suffering, which it certainly was in the first century, um, in the, the early, early two or three centuries of the church and has been in lots of places ever since. Um, you need a God who can identify with that or who you know can identify with that. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the scripture that I pulled out is in Hebrews where, um, for chapter four, verse 15, where Paul's like, we don't have a God who cannot identify with our sufferings. You know, God can identify with all that. He went through it himself. You can't accuse God of not knowing what it's like to be human, which in some ways gives him the, gives him the moral, not so much authority, the moral, um, what's the word?
0: Street cred.
1: <laughs> Street cred is, is, would be a, a way of putting it. He's, he's yeah. walked the walk himself. Yeah. So you can't accuse him of accusing of expecting you to do stuff that he, he hasn't done himself. However, whatever suffering is demanded of you in your Christian life, God has done it and has done it worse.
0: Yeah. I didn't mean to imply that there, there was no atonement uh, with this, this theory in Christian doctrine, but like, so... Th- the atonement is the life and the the sacrifice yes. but like it's not it's not substitutionary in that sense okay. uh, but one of the main critiques of this for most Christians is that it downplays the significance of the death and resurrection um and that it also downplays the need for us to have our sins forgiven because in this theory it's just like all right yeah. we have an example now that we need to live up to I mean, so I think I think with many
1: of these theories they all touch on an aspect and the mistake is if you pick one and then exclude mm-hmm. all the others, um, they have, well, yeah, they have their strengths and weaknesses, I, w- I would say. So, um, and it's, it's a mistake to go into extremes and pick. I'm, I, the atonement works like this. It's like, well, yeah. <laughs> yes, but it probably also works like this and probably also works like that. You're talking about a, an, an event that is <clears throat> multidimensional, it works both forwards and backwards in time. Um, well, affected hey, yeah. all the dimensions of space that we know of, and probably affected some that we don't on the basis that when Jesus was raised again, he was able to apparently teleport himself around. So he's obviously moving through a fourth dimension of space at the very least. Um, it's an event that's too big and too significant to be contained in any one theory think is sort of how I see it. So I sort of pick aspects of different ones like that bit. Yes, I can see that this bit probably works as well. And the two sort of work together, if that makes sense. So I I, I don't see how, um, the moral, the moral influence theory and the penal substitution theory are, are mutually compatible. It can be both, I think at the same time.
0: I think many Christians would, would agree with you on that. Um, it just, it's, it also makes sense too, like when you're saying it's multifaceted like I think as human beings we want a very simple, straightforward answer to this um now i would reiterate like I don't believe any of of this, <laughs> but I can still have the conversation and like go through some of my thought processes right so like if you if you're interested though um with moral influence theory uh the medieval theologian who actually kind of bought this up and was Peter Abelard, uh he sort of right. kind of yeah. Uh, check that I out. Um, I recognize the name, yeah. Uh, he's kind of one that got that ball rolling, which is interesting too. Like, you we got all the way to the middle ages before, and this is when most of uh, atonement um, doctrines and theories were developed, all kind of simultaneously. You had some early stuff with, um, like Origen and uh, Ignatius, who were trying to really think about what it meant. Um, you know, Origen, for example, thought that, that Christ, you know, physically descended into hell and then after his death, like that's when he like preached the gospel to everybody down there and like in doing so kind of resurrected. And, um, that's another story. Um, so the last theory I wanted to talk about, which I think is very similar to atonement theory, but that is satisfaction theory. So yeah, I wasn't sure what to make of that one. Yeah. So satisfaction theory. So this was developed in the medieval um, time period as well by um, Anselm of Canterbury. You've probably heard of him if you've been around, Every you know, Christian theology. It. Yeah. Um, so this is basically stating that um, we've uh, humans have offended God, like his honor has been offended. Um, and so it requires a payment or like compensation to restore that offense. So, uh and no that's human very medieval <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it's very medieval yeah no human could provide this sacrifice like it's not possible to do it so jesus uh being perfect and sinless um had to you know had to be sacrificed on the cross in order to satisfy that um that offense basically mm-hmm. um it seems very similar to atonement theory but i think there's some some very subtle differences uh, in
1: there are differences. They're subtle enough that I can't remember what they are. Yeah, um, um, but it's basically God. I, I think basically it's uh, Jesus satisfied a debt of honor as opposed to um, took a punishment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that that's yeah. it's, it's it's a debt of honor as opposed to a debt of pain. I guess would
0: be another. Yeah, one of the one of the main criticisms uh, against satisfaction theory is actually that it's it's very legalistic, um, mm-hmm. like almost like it's contractual like all right i was offended i need to have this done in order to appease you know like to, to satisfy um um whereas atonement um i don't think is is legalistic in the the understanding of like current things where you would say this was freely given like you don't deserve this like there is no satisfaction like i'm just giving this to you to make up for yeah um, I, I i don't find the
1: satisfaction theory particularly satisfying
0: um credible
1: there are well, certain wanna, aspects of it I think but I need to, I, it's one of the things I'd need to spend more time reading about
0: so i wanted to uh i have i have a I have a hard question for you um but well, maybe it's not hard, but I wanted to get your just like just in thoughts like as a Christian somebody who you've obviously wrestled with these things you've looked into this thing um, was there ever a time where you're like and it seems like you're still doing this we're just like it just doesn't make sense. Like, and I think you alluded to this earlier, like there's a lot of little things that kind of add up and like, they all make sense. They don't make sense.
1: Yes. repeatedly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Um. so actually this reminds me of, uh, it was actually, it was actually your podcast. I think, um, the other week when you're talking about, um, Habermas, Mm -hmm. it's like, how certain are you of the gospel? He's like, Oh, about 80%. Also, I, I have quite a lot of sympathy with that view. Yeah. So, it's like, do I believe all in, with the with the Gospels? Do I believe, in terms of the, the historical content, leaving aside the miracles and the all of the sort of supernatural God stuff for a minute, do I do I believe the Gospels are historically accurate? I would say I, I think so. There's no particular reason to believe that they're not. To be honest, I believe Jesus did what he did, did what they said he did. I believed he preached what they said he preached. He went to the places that they said he went to. He died as it as they said he did, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Probably and going as far as he was buried in the tomb. And and even if you it's when you get to the resurrection. And it's like this is great, but it's really dumb. <laughs> if that makes sense. It's like this is all this this feels like complete nonsense. Except that I can't really come up with a really good reason not to believe it. I think. Would be that would be the way i would I would put it, like if you were going to make up a religion, you wouldn't make up Christianity what well, you would you would make up Islam in fact, um I think Islam, <laughs> yeah. Islam, I think is what you get if you try to make Christianity make sense there's a lot of Muslims, the debates i 've seen that Muslims do, their complaint about Christianity is basically that it's stupid, God would never do that oh, that that's nonsense. Why is God a trinity? Why does God have a son? Why would he become a human that's all stupid. Um, and I have quite a lot of sympathy with that point of view, except that if God did everything that made sense, then he's a God that's made in, in human image, like you would expect God to do stuff that you don't expect. Right. And I'm kind of rambling a bit here. Um, no, I think but it's, that, that view
0: makes total sense.
1: It's not intuitive at all, which on the one hand makes it difficult to believe. On the other hand, makes it fairly obvious that it must be correct. Cause if you're going to pick a religion, you pick the one that's not like the others, and Christianity is the religion that shouldn't exist by any rule of human logic or, or human um, human intelligence. If you were going to invent a religion and have one that made sense, you would not have Christianity,
0: I think. Yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. Um, like obviously, yeah. I disagree because I'm not a Christian. So, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, we could talk about that on another time. But like, to me... But- but I think that could all be explained like naturally just through in terms of doubts all the time. Yeah. yeah. Um it doesn't really stop. So the I wanna this isn't gotcha journalism. I wanna throw out a, a question for you because this is something that really struggled I struggled with when I was going through this process and thinking, about, all right, so if if Jesus's atonement covers all sin, like we're saying, like, all right, um, sacrifice has atoned for sin and they were going. But then you have examples where even Jesus himself, like if you look at Mark 3, um, 28 through 30, uh, this is the one where he's like, truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven. Uh, But basically saying like, if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, like it's an unforgivable sin, right? So how would the unforgivable sin be accounted for in substitutionary atonement? Like if I were to blaspheme right now, um, does that... Does that negate the atonement and the sacrifice? Like um, that one like, never sat well with me. So um, yeah,
1: well, I've had this, I have had this discussion with people at church before. Um, hang on, let me add sin to that Google search because it takes me to the IMDB.
0: Um, this is, I need to find the scripture. Yeah. Um, I usually read out of the uh, the NA, um, the NRSV, they have a new updated edition, but I don't know what you read out of, but um.
1: I'm, 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 nicking it from the Jehovah's witnesses, which is a bit, um, <laughs> but, um, their Bible isn't entirely wrong. Um, right. So with that, um, that particular passage, firstly, it's very dangerous to build an entire doctrine on one passage. Sure. So the Bible says repeatedly that salvation or, you know, Jesus covers all, all sins. So it says that in, in many, many places. So Jesus is saying this, anyone who does this will never be forgiven, has to be seen in that light. So it's not a case of the um, power of the atonement is insufficient to cover this sin. And you have to look at what happened in context. So, so it says like uh, Mark three twenty two. 22. Um, also, this is the first time I've ever quoted from the New World Translation. <laughs> of the Bible. It just happens to be the one that I found, the first one that I, I found. Yeah. Um, and I don't, think, I, I don't think it's actually wrong in this particular area. So I should be right. Also the scribes who came down from Jerusalem saying he has Beelzebub and he expels the demons by by means um, of the rule of demons. So after calling them to him, he spoke to them with illustrations. How can Satan expel Satan? Um, If a kingdom becomes a divide against itself, a kingdom cannot stand. Um, And then going down to verse 28, truly I say to you that all things will be forgiven the sons of men, no matter what sins they commit and what blasphemies they speak. Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit has no forgiveness forever, but is guilty of everlasting sin. He said this because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So what they were doing was looking at Jesus's miracles and attributing them to Satan. Now this gives you a, this gives them a problem because he, they have been listening to him preach for, for ages. So they've heard the gospel and they've been ignoring it. And now they've seen his miracles and they're also ignoring them. So, some, so the point being somebody who's in that position, is, is they're not they won't be forgiven not because forgiveness can't be done but because they won't repent. This is so how it was explained to me. They they they're in a position now where they cannot repent because they've rejected all possible um, avenues. The point being, yeah, I don't, yeah. sorry,
0: no, I don't know if that, that covers it though. Like for me, like it seems like you should always like under the the doctrine of substitute atonement, like with and you know kind of laid out like uh, there's a life boat out there and all you got to do is like all right i just need to accept the lifeboat um up to the point where you get a chance to accept the lifeboat you should be good but in this case like if if you're like and we put it in context i think it's always good to put stuff into context but if you're basically um yeah and it just doesn't make sense to me like it, but- I, I,
1: it's not a perfect analogy but it'd be like yeah. some, they send you a lifeboat and you shoot holes in the bottom of it i guess and then you try to get on <laughs> yeah uh, but the, <laughs> the the point being i mean the way it was always put um to me and the way i've put it when people have come to me and asked me about this is if you are worried about having committed it then you haven't committed it because the put the, the person who would do it is the person who wouldn't care and that's also gotcha. why they won't that's why they can't be forgiven because they can't they, they're, they're not they've they've gone so far if you like in in rebellion if you like that they can't come back. It's not. God. God will, if they do, God will receive
0: them. But they won't. Um, they've lost the capability. So to speak. If you keep, so going, it kind of gets into into the idea that God has perfect foreknowledge, and so in this sense, He already knows. Like, if if you're if you're somebody who commits the the ultimate sin, like blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, at that point, He knows that you'll never. You'll never get on the lifeboat. <clears throat>
1: well, it's not that you. It's. It's. There's a. The, there's a complicated relationship in when it comes to God's knowledge of what you will do versus what you can do, um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: because God is eternal. God sees everything. We experience time as a linear progression of cause and effect. God does not. Um, the flow of time is is a quirk of human perception. That's how we perceive eternity. Um, but the way C.S. Lewis puts it is eventually. You, you lose the capacity if you keep hardening your heart, which is what they were doing. Because these people were following Jesus around. This, well, this isn't somebody who was, you know, was was abused out of faith or never heard of Jesus or had no familiarity. These were these were these were people who taught the law. You know, the, these were these were the, the literate ones who were responsible for teaching teaching everybody else. And then they <coughs> accused Jesus of causing. Um, casting miracles um performing miracles via the devil right so at at that point your heart is so hard that you've lost the ability to go back you've you've taken yourself so far down the road that you can't turn around Um,
0: Hmm.
1: is is how i've always understood it
0: I, i just wanted to get your perspective on it um i always thought it was it was an interesting one to me um so is there anything that you wanted to cover or say just in, in general that we haven't covered is in terms of atonement? Um,
1: the only thing I think I have notes on that we haven't covered is, uh, the ransom theory. Oh, um,
0: the idea yeah, that's that a, death yeah. was
1: a ransom paid to Satan. Um, yeah. That's a, that's
0: a good one. Um, nonsense. <laughs> you think it's nonsense? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's actually a pretty popular one. Uh, I guess when that one was developed, um, I'm going to, I'm going to guess the middle ages, the middle ages. Yeah. <laughs> um, also by Anselm of Canterbury. Um, so as you can see, but
1: um, he yeah, so a like
0: definitely. Um, yeah. There's no, there's no scriptural support for that at all.
1: Um, Satan is, I mean, he has a role. He's the accuser. He's the tempter. He's the enemy, but the, um, the,
0: the sin is a beef between God and man. So this one, to me, it comes down to like, and I can see why it was developed, like the idea, like if you believe in like a, a literal Adam and Eve, and if you believed as they did in the Middle Ages that Satan was the serpent, um, I don't know if there's biblical evidence to support that, but if Satan was the serpent, then he tricked Adam and Eve so that he basically stole them from God and he was holding them ransom. It's like, I got them to sin and I'm holding them ransom. And that's where yeah. this theory well, we comes did, in. We, so did, like, we did get taught that at church in, in past yeah. years, but... Mm-hmm. Um, is one of the things where,
1: having having learned more myself, that's not the case. God wasn't paying anything to Satan. Um, God wasn't ransoming us from Satan. God was paying a ransom in a sense, but he was way well, he was effectively ransoming us from himself in a way. But sin is a the, the whole thing with sin is the drama that's going on is between God and man. Right. That's that's the. The the thing Satan doesn't have a role
0: in that. Yeah, I think this theory, the the main uh, crink in the armor for me for this one is like it it really limits God's power, right? Because it's it's basically saying that the devil or Satan in this case was more powerful than God and tricked God. You're making making God beholden to somebody else. Right, yeah. So um, The only other thing I would add
1: from a historical perspective, which it just got mentioned earlier and I... um, Was going to say say something and completely forgot Mm -hmm. is part of the reason you see there's a gap. You see a lot of um, atonement theories in sort of the sort of two hundreds to sort of four hundreds, and then you see a lot in sort of the ninth, tenth century and onwards. Um, Is the collapse of the Roman Empire Mm. between those two things? So it took, and I've got a couple of books actually about the development of medieval science and um, in the Middle Ages. And it took until about eight or 900 AD for Western Europe to recover.
0: Right. Are we yeah, we got time. We, we can do. start
1: thinking about stuff now. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, we have, we have enough of an, of an economy that we can actually afford to pay people to think. Right. Actively. Yeah,
0: that's exactly what happened. Um, but, that's, yeah. but that's
1: where that gap came from, um, is that the Western Roman Empire collapsed and you had a several hundred years of economic collapse, starvation, wars, and all kinds of stuff that happened. And Europe mm. took about, I, th- I think it took about a couple hundred years to start recovering. And then it took another couple of hundred years to get back to where it was when Rome collapsed. And then after that, Europe started surpassing where mm. the Romans went, where the, where the Romans were. Um, but yeah, just a quick little, historical little history story.
0: lesson there. So, yeah. yeah, well, it's all history lesson. I think uh, just in summary, um, kind of wrap things up, like, Mainly what your perspective is, is you can't have a single view of atonement. It's a multifaceted thing. It's probably too complex for any of us to actually truly understand. Um, and you just have to to look at it and take different pieces and try to understand it in different concepts. I don't know. Would you agree with that? Um, yes. I don't think you need to be a Christian. You don't need to understand it at all.
1: Um, you can understand what it, what happened, and what it did, and I don't think any Christians really disagree on that. Um, for practical purposes, that will get you going. I would consider myself and Christians to have a moral duty to investigate and understand as much as possible. On the, but also accept that you are never going to understand everything. Yeah, and rather than committing to a particular theory, the other point to remember is that all these different theories are were created by academics. And the reason that's important is because I've worked with academics and once they pick a theory, they then defend that theory to the death against every other theory. So a lot of these theories are in competition because of the, uh, the nature of the personalities of the people who develop them. Um, and it's better to take a step back from all of them and then pick the, because the, the elements of the different ones to try and create as complete a view as possible.
0: Yeah. Um, I would say to my atheist um, listeners and skeptics out there, um, I know it can be easy to just kind of, you know, repeat that whole, you know, God sacrificed himself to himself to appease himself kind of thing. But are you really addressing the points that Christians believe in? Or is that just a nice little meme that you can do? And if you really want to try to understand what's going on, to actually look into some of these, these theories for atonement to actually see what Christians believe, see what they have to say on it. And then, uh, if you still want to, then, then you can actually have a conversation and like, talk about some of the challenging points, talk about some of the things that don't make sense, uh, with somebody who actually holds that belief versus just throwing out a character caricature. So. Um. And whatever
1: objection, whatever objection you can think of about the Christian doctrine of atonement, there will be, there will have been a medieval monk in a monastery somewhere who will have already <laughs> thought of it and spent his entire
0: life writing books about it. Yeah, uh, whether or not it's a good uh, a good book or not, we, we leave yeah. that up for judgment. <laughs> um, well, last, I just want to close out here. Um, so we do fallacies uh, as part of our thing. Are there any fallacies that you're particularly fond of, or one that you see being committed a lot that you wanted to bring attention to? Uh, I know I'm putting you on the spot here. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't tell me this question before. No, I didn't. I just thought about it. So <laughs> um,
1: the fallacy that I've always wanted you to cover um, is the Spider-Man fallacy.
0: Okay. Have you come across that one? I'm um, familiar with this one, but no, I don't think I've. The Basic, and I've been
1: accused of doing it, which is why it irritates me because I wasn't doing it. Um, Christians often get accused of doing it. Basically, the Spider Man fallacy is because the Spider Man comics take place in New York, and in Spider Man, the United States exists and humans exist, therefore, Spider Man is true. Oh, okay, yeah,
0: yeah, um, and the, the,
1: the lot then what the, the, the basic point is saying, well, you just, you're just saying just because the gospel, just because we know Pontius Pilate existed and just because we know Jesus existed and just because right. we know Herod existed, that doesn't mean Jesus died on the cross. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, so, Christians, that's not really the argument that Christians make, which is why I get irritated when I get accused of doing it because I'm not doing it, but that's the, um, that is the Spider-Man fallacy.
0: That's a good one. I'll look at it a little bit more. Um, I'm sure Jordan's heard of that one, so I can ask him what he thinks about that one. But yeah, I've definitely heard that been thrown around too, especially by some prominent atheists, um, who, <laughs> Yeah, but well, I really appreciate your time, Nick um <laughs> again, I direct uh everybody to go check out reality insights on the youtubes uh, that's your main um main yeah. window to the world. yeah, I was on Twitter, but I gave up because it was too depressing um, <laughs>
1: <It is> a- <laughs> I do usually post links to the videos on Instagram
0: as well okay um
1: I used to do Instagram sort of little thumbnail infographic things as well, but then I had another child when. <laughs> didn't have time
0: it's amazing anymore children are, are um, demanding
1: i've had a bit of a hiatus over the last few months with youtube because i've been doing some other stuff um yeah. but i have a bunch of i've got about half a dozen different videos in various stages of completion and it's like well i need to focus on one <laughs> and get it done so there's there's one about the yellowstone trophic cascade uh, which i just find fascinating and i've got a tenuous link to young earth creationism which gives me the uh, the excuse to to make a video about it. Um, a load of stuff about slavery in the Bible, because everybody seems to get their knickers in a twist about that. Um, there's one which is facts about COVID nineteen for American evangelicals. Hmm. Cause I got very irritated a couple
0: of years ago with
1: the various American Christians going about how it was a hoax. And
0: you may, you may be, yeah, you may be a little late on that one though, but yeah, <laughs> I, no, this is the thing I was going to make it ages ago
1: and then never did. Yeah. I'm wondering whether I've missed the boat now. Um, one about world war II tank design and how that teaches us about God's creation.
0: Oh, that sounds interesting.
1: Um, so. and then there's some Bible ones. So some stuff about King Saul, the long ages in Genesis, um, some battles. I did one about a battle, some more about the bar- various battles in the Bible, what happened between the Testaments, a few bits of Bible history and things okay. like that. The other thing I might do actually is expand on my notes from this. Yeah, be, I would definitely a bit of stuff about atonement. So there's a whole um, bunch yeah. of stuff that's on the list.
0: Well, you need to for pick one. To, and uh, I, I would, doing, yeah. <laughs> I would vote for the tanks cause I like tanks, but <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I might, I might uh, do the tanks. Um, so and actually, um, yeah, if I like cover oh, well, that's a, that's a huge topic. Yeah. limit that one down, but, um, I really appreciate your time. Uh, what Jordan and I have coming up soon. Um, we're actually going to, um, we're going to do a little experiment with some artificial intelligence. Um, I think in our next episode. So to see, uh, see how good it is when it comes to topics of atheism, theism, and then, um, what that means to us as skeptics and how we should view AI. So, and then I we're going to do another, um, another release of uh, in April of uh, our continuating, continuation of our book review on David Fitzgerald's Mything in Action so we'll we'll do that again
1: that's, G, that's but, the Jesus mythicism
0: Jesus mythicism yep
1: yeah. so, that's another thing I've not really spent any great right amount of time looking into um, I might need to look into that at some point
0: yeah it tends to be it's really interesting how that is uh, Christians don't really seem too interested in that where it's mostly like an atheist kind of um battle back and well, forth from, so from,
1: from a christian point of view it's like well we already know he exists so what's the what's the problem
0: <laughs> yeah yeah if, if you already believe he exists and you know why yeah, would you even like, like to it, say it, did he did he exist though like
1: yeah yeah it's um it's difficult right. to describe but it's like it's a topic which is just not very interesting well it's like
0: well of course yeah. he existed <laughs> <laughs> why yeah, why are we it, arguing in, about this? <laughs> we only have so much bandwidth, but um yeah. Well, I appreciate your time, Nick, really do, um especially staying up late for us, um since we're on different time zones and uh apologize for the confusion with uh daylight savings. Apparently, it affects everybody across the world differently. So, um yeah, well, we but, we we are clocks going forward tonight. Okay. So, so, awesome. Well, we'll, we'll um, be right again next week. <laughs> Until, until we're not. So, but, uh, until next time, remember you always have reason to doubt. Peace out.